we are going to begin a new series, a new series this week, and for the next four weeks, we will be looking at the traditional themes of Advent, hope, faith, joy, and peace. And we don't follow the liturgical calendar here as a church. That's not something we normally do. But we're going to be jumping on the bandwagon for the next four weeks. And simultaneously, we're a week off from the traditional start of Advent. So please, if this is your thing, please don't judge us. We're, we're, we're not trying hard. We just want to do this in our own way because this is the time of year to do that. And Advent has always been something uh, from if you date back to the earliest centuries of Christianity, where the church takes time to reflect on and also anticipate the Christ of Christmas. So that's what we're doing here. And the word Advent, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means arrival or coming. And that, that word Adventus actually comes from the Greek word perugia, which we see translated not only for Jesus Christ's coming in a manger in human flesh, but it's the same term that we see when Jesus Christ comes back the second time. His, his first arrival was as a sacrificial lamb. He came to give his life a ransom for many to die on the cross for our sins. And when Jesus Christ returns the second time, he will be coming as a victorious lion. And he's also coming for his people to be with us and to take us to be with him. So this is something, Advent, it's something that we as a church, we should be doing. We should be reflecting back on the Messiah who came, and we should be looking forward and anticipating his return. Similarly, the God's people at the end of the Old Testament, they were awaiting the Messiah. They were waiting for Christ to come. And they looked back and they saw what God had done throughout their history, how he had redeemed his people out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and we also look, for, look back to what God did for us when he sent Jesus into this world to redeem us from the slavery of sin. Now, this eager anticipation, this is what we're looking forward to. And there is a word for that. We're going to see this word in the passage today. The passage today is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. So turn with me there. And we're going to see three ways that you can have hope. Hope. That's what we're looking at today. And in this passage, we are going to see a recipe. And we're going to see three specific ways that that can happen. So if you're there at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, we are going to read that in just a second. As you're turning there, though, do you ever notice that some people just have confidence and you don't know where it comes from? They just have this amazing sense of confidence. Everything can be falling apart around them, but they are confident in themselves and they're at ease in the midst of the storm. I mean, don't people like that sometimes just make you sick a little bit? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's true. Some people are like that and it's like, wow, where did they get this where do they get this confidence? How does that happen? And here's a hint as we look as we're going to about to see in this passage, the most confident, self-assured people, optimistic people don't find the confidence in themselves. They find it in someone else. 
they find it in someone else. And we're not talking today, when we, we talk about hope, we're not talking about this, this confidence that is just propped up, okay? It's not something that is a cocky basketball player, a snobby popular girl. There are irrational confidence people, but whenever it's on themselves, it's, it's a surface level and it's rooted deep down in I am looking at this through what I can do and how I can achieve something. And whenever you have that, it's not lasting forever. Real life, steadfastness under fire, resilience during the inevitable storms, that kind of confidence is impossible if you're putting your hope in yourself. You have to have that, that kind of confidence only comes from ultimate hope. The most confident, self-assured, optimistic people are people who find their hope in Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in 1 Peter chapter 1. So hopefully you're there by now. And I know it's a hard one to find. It's such a small book tucked away. But let's begin reading in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Today's message is about finding your hope in Jesus. And according to the text today, it's setting your hope fully on the coming grace of Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is about. And how you become different from the majority of people out there. Because the majority of the people out there are not setting their hope fully on Jesus Christ. They're setting their hope on something else. Everyone has set their hope on something. Even if they don't want to admit it, they have their hope on something. And if you lose hope, that is a terrible place to be in. It's, it's a miserable place to be in, and it's a tragic place, and that's not what God wants for you. So this is where we're fo- setting our focus, on verse 13. Setting your hope fully on the coming grace of Jesus Christ. And I think it's interesting that a lot of times this passage right here, 1 Peter chapter 1, is labeled the holiness passage. It's funny that that's the case because we just had a few weeks ago had a sermon on really what I would say is a more accurate holiness passage in, in Ephesians chapter 4. But people see, you know, this quote where Peter's, Peter's quoting from the Old Testament, be holy for I am holy, and we really just focus on that. It's such a, such a powerful statement that sometimes we miss the fact that this passage is more about 
what you're putting your hope in than it is holiness. Holiness is a, is a definition that's often misunderstood, similar to hope, because hope is often shrouded with deficient definitions. But this passage is telling us that you have to put your hope in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like? And actually, holiness is just a piece of the pie. It's one of the ingredients out of three. And I know a few of you realized that I was a little under the weather last weekend, and, and a few people in my family were, and we actually tracked down the culprit. We identified the, the reason that I was sick was food poisoning from the pumpkin pie and the pecan pie. And I only had like one bite of both pies, and it still did me in. So we're not going to talk about ingredients in pie anymore because I've, I've thought about that enough. No more of that. Never want to talk about it again. But rather, we're going to talk about these three ingredients that we see in the text today. And the first ingredient is the first point. Number one, mentally roll up your sleeves and prepare your mind for action. That's what we see there in verse 13. In this phrase, uh, the phrase here to prepare your mind for action that you may see in your translation, you may have something different. You might even have something along the lines of gird up the loins of your mind. Does anybody have that in their translation today? All right, maybe, yeah. Okay, thank you. I have one person with, with maybe the King James Version back there. The King James Version is ironically not the most literal translation of the Bible. But the King James, which many people are familiar with, always, always, always uses this phrase, and it translates it literally as gird up your loins. Now, why are we talking about that, especially since it's not in the ESV? Well, as a matter of fact, I think understanding the literal version of what this phrase is saying helps us understand where we're going with this. and what Because... The Bible uses this phrase all the time. It's, it's really interesting that this is a very repeated common phrase in Scripture. In Job 38, God says to Job in a whirlwind, right before he's going to lay some truth down to him, he says, gird up, the loin, gird up your loins like a man and listen to what I'm about to say. And really quickly, before I lose half the ladies in the audience here today with this, this male-centric term, gird up your loins, I want to point out that we're going to have to step into a, a necessary regression here for just a quick second on understanding what this is. Uh, not only are we going to understand fully what Peter is saying if we do this, but we're going to actually address some important things in our world today as pertaining to women and, and how the Bible presents women and how, how it's addressed. Okay, so in Proverbs chapter 31... There is another gird up your loins uh, phrase, believe it or not. And I'm going to show you that right now. Proverbs 31, 17. Ladies, lest you think this is all about men here, and this is just for the men, it's not. Look at Proverbs 31, 17. She girds up her loins with strength and strengthens her arms. And like I said, this is a slight sidetrack path here for a minute, but, but stick with me. I have seen this passage interpreted as, okay, she has mental strength. That's great. I've, I've even cringed to the point where I've seen people take this verse and talk about, well, this is just extra emotional strength that the woman has to have, and that's what a Proverbs 31 woman is. 
and they divorce this verse, and they don't really divorce it from the context, and they don't take what's going on around in the immediate context. When you look at the immediate context, what comes right after she girds up her loins with strength, it's she strengthens her arms. And the verse right before that is she buys a field and she plants a vineyard. Literally, when you take this at face value, which is what you have to do with the Bible, this is telling you, ladies, you can be a strong woman. All right, and, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up is our world and our culture tells us the Bible is antiquated, the Bible is outdated, the Bible demeans ladies, but is that what I see? Is that what you see? It's not what I see in the scripture, right? I see in scripture that the Bible says before even the culture ever said, girl, you should be strong. The Bible's saying that, okay? So you always take the Bible at face value, and this is a literal phrase here, but often... In scripture, when we see gird up the loins, it's this concept of in the ancient world, men and women, they wore tunics. They would take the end of their tunic. They would loop it through their legs, through their belt, so they could actually get some work done. And that's if now to get back off the frontage road and back on the main highway of where we're going here in Peter, back to that. What you have to do is the same thing. If you're going to fully put your hope in Jesus Christ, remember, let's get back where we're at. This is what we're looking at. How can you fully set your hope on Jesus Christ? Well, you have to mentally roll up your sleeves. Get rid of all the obstacles, all the hindrances, all these little things that can get in the way and prepare your mind for action. It's very important that we do that. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where, Ladies, I'm not trying to tell you that you have to have the body of an Olympian and you have to go out there and, and just work out and, and get your arms all buff. Like, that's not the point of that passage either. I mean, my wife, Julie, is amazing. I don't think I'm going to ever ask her to start adding CrossFit into her life right now with kids. I mean, I want to eat food, too. I really do. I, I enjoy her cooking. So that's not, what we're, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is this idea that I'm going to mentally prepare myself I'm going to remember that the stakes are high, and I have a job to do. I have a mission in life, and that's what this looks like mentally, saying, okay, what can I do for God's glory? Being sober-minded, it, it's, the, it's the very next phrase here, is it fits right along with this, and we see that same concept in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. All right? That's what we're looking at. You aren't saved to coast and to live the beach life when you're a Christian. That's, that's not what we're here for. You are a soldier in the Lord's army. You have to roll up your sleeves mentally and prepare yourself for that. I mean, some people have called this not just the Lord's army, but the Salvation Army. And I mean, you can go to the grocery store today and you can actually donate to the Salvation Army. That's where the name comes from. It comes from this verse right here. This is exactly what we're talking about. Preparing your mind for action means you're not focused just on your IRA, you're not just focused on the home remodel that you want to have. You realize that you are a member of the church of God that's on mission for the glory of God. And that means there's some things that you have to cut back on, some things that you have to limit because you have a higher calling. 
We are called to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's a very, very exciting, high calling. And we have that calling also to look out for widows and orphans. We just saw that last week in James chapter 1, right? We as a church have an opportunity to be the light in this dark world. We can push back the darkness as children of light, as beloved children who are living out our beloved identity. And we can push back the darkness by showing people who God is, by loving them, by speaking truth to them. That's what we're called to do. So being sober-minded doesn't mean that you never laugh or joke. No, not at all. It just means that mentally, I'm not drunk, okay? I'm not, I'm not inebriated to the point where I'm ha- foggy and hazy and I don't really know what I'm doing and I'm just kind of like bumping around from one thing to the next. No, I know what I have to do. I am saved to glorify God, to live for him, to show the world who he is, to show his character with my character. And I'm going to actually roll up my sleeves and get busy with that. You know who you are, what you have to do, and you plan and prepare and think through how you can maximize your life for God's glory. And there's a balance in all of this. I mean, let's talk through a few of these. Uh, Right now, it's Christmas season. So part of this during Christmas at this time of year is to reflect, to take a step back. You know, have some time to relax, rejuvenate yourself, recuperate. Don't be dictated by the busyness of the cultural calendar that puts all this pressure on you. You don't have to spend a fortune to show your kids that you love them. You don't have to do that. You can, you can take a deep breath and move on with your life in a peaceful, reflective way at this season. You can have a clear focus that's not double-minded, where you don't make decisions on a whim. You don't just do something because it sounds fun and exciting. You don't just do something because everybody else is doing. No, you realize that I need to focus on what God has for me. My daily decision is how can I live for Jesus today? What do I need to do today to live for Jesus? And you clear your mind of the clutter. Sometimes, moms, that means that you're just being patient with your, with your kids who need Jesus. Sometimes that's when you go into your, into your job and you're dealing with horrific coworkers who don't know Jesus at all. You're patient and you're gracious with them. We have to take time To balance this out, we have to take time to think through this to prepare our minds for action. If you aren't preparing for action, you're going to be swept away with more trivial pursuits. And if you aren't preparing for action, you're going to be swallowed up by the tyranny of the urgent. That's just the way it is in our life today. So you you can't just relax um, on this point. You have to realize that it's a battle. There's a war out there. People are lost and dying and going to hell. I can actually do something to change that. So I'm going to roll up my sleeves mentally. And I think the reason this is the first step towards setting your hope fully on Jesus Christ is if you think you've got it, you actually don't got it. If if you think it's, it's all up to you and you can just do this on your own, you'll be putting your hope in different things. 
You'll be putting your hope in Dabo Sweeney. You'll be putting your hope in your kids' ACT scores. You're going to be putting your hope in, I don't know, your husband, your career. You name it. There's a lot of different things that we can put our hope in that will actually disappoint us. And you won't be dependent on Christ to the point that you put your hope fully on him. Now, here's the second ingredient. It's in verse 14. Obediently resist. Obediently resist and don't conform to your old passions. Look at verse 14 again. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's pretty straightforward. And uh, doesn't this sound a lot like it just came from Ephesians chapter 4? You could almost like place this verse in Ephesians 4. Remember, we saw this a few weeks ago. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. So when you don't know God and you're apart from him and you're living completely away from the reality of who he is and who he's made you to be, you are in ignorance. And there is a warning here, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It's, it, we had this same warning in Ephesians. We have this warning all over the place in the New Testament, Christians. It wouldn't be everywhere for us as a warning if it wasn't a very real threat. That we could conform back to our old passions. And the truth is, old habits, they die hard. Every single time. Old habits don't just go away easily just because you want them to. I can fall back into my old passions. You can fall back into your old passions. We all can. And we have to be very, very aware on this, how it can sneak up on you. I've seen it many times. You know, it's, it's a dad. He's, he's getting his life back on track for Jesus He's starting to become a leader in his home like he, like he should be. And things are going so well. And then one thing leads to the next. And his son is really good at baseball. And he decides, hey, I'm going to put my kid on this traveling team. And then he's gone, like almost every week from church because of baseball. All right? Now, this is, that's one personal kind of touchy example. But that's just one example of what this looks like when somebody says, Oh, yeah, that's great. I love that. It's a good thing. But taken out of balance, it becomes a very, very dangerous thing. And a lot of times, it's not just the egregious, horrific sins that, that trip us up. Because when you were addicted to sexual immorality and you were in the throes of that and the bondage of that, you know that's disgusting. You were so glad to be done with that and your appetite has completely changed. You don't want any part of that anymore. But sometimes it's these good things like baseball or gymnastics or you name it, um, you know, saving up money for retirement. Like all these good things that can actually become the enemy of the best thing when we don't have our hope fully in Jesus Christ. And we're putting our, help, our hope on something else. The pesky smaller issues many times are the things that turn into huge problems when we put them out of balance. So in this, in this point of obediently resist, we're talking about resisting even things that God gave us. They're good gifts. But don't put your hope in that. Put your hope fully on Jesus Christ. Now, 
we still have a lot of verses left. You may be thinking, wow, David, you've just taken two points on the first two verses, and we have verses 15 through 21 here, okay? Are you sure that, that we're gonna that we're gonna be able to do this? <laughs> Is this sermon gonna work out? Well, here's the thing. I like to attribute this to Peter because when you read between, between the lines in Scripture, Peter is one of those guys who is the life of the party. He's the passionate go-getter. I mean, he's always talking. He always, he's quick-witted. He always has something to say. Sometimes with Jesus, he ended up putting his foot in the mouth, his mouth a lot of the times because of that. But, you know, when you have a passionate, zealous person, those people can kind of just go off on, go off at times, right? And that's really what's going on here, as, as far as I can, I can tell, with Peter, because he's got one last point, and he just elaborates on this point. He really gives us some, some explanation on this because he's getting excited about it. And I'm thankful that Peter elaborates on point number three. Because the third ingredient in setting your hope fully on Jesus Christ right here is start looking like your father. Conduct yourself with holy fear. Let's look at that again uh, just to pick up where we're at so we don't lose our place. But verse 15 but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. When we find Christ, we have a new father. And when we have a new father, we need to start looking like him. We need to start looking like our God, our Heavenly Father. And I always try to put myself in your position as the audience when I'm, when I'm preparing this and I'm thinking through this. And I was thinking, wow, I already, I already am going to spend time with the ladies on, you know, getting strong. <laughs> and, and now the ladies are thinking, like, really, David? I have to go to burn boot camp and all that stuff. And, and now you're telling me I also need to look like my father? Like, what gives, David? Come, like, come on, seriously. Again, what we're talking about here is holiness. What we're talking about is not that you need to look like your dad physically. It's that you need to focus on who God is, what is his character. All of us need to do this. And we need to make our character into God's character, the same character. We need to show the world who God is with our lives. Start glorifying God by imitating the character of God. That's what we're called to do. And yes, the word holiness, it literally means set apart. It's being different. And God is holy. There is no one like him. But we are told to imitate him. So that means that we should be different from the world in every way that God is different. We did just cover that list of holiness back in Ephesians. And we saw there's five things you put off and you put on, how you do it, why you do it. And holiness is not living 
like a frumpy person. That's not holiness. Holiness is loving and forgiving and being like Jesus. That's what holiness is. So there's some truths here that Peter elaborates on that really help put this in the context of setting your hope fully on Jesus Christ. And the first thing is that you can see here in verse 17 is God judges impartially. God judges impartially. So if we're to be holy, if we're to be different, if we're to be like him, we should also be impartial. All right? Now, please don't get fooled into thinking that the world is impartial. The world wants to say that they're intolerant. Uh, or excuse me, they want to say that they're tolerant. When in effect, people are a lot more intolerant than they, than they care to admit. It's a lie of Satan that says people are impartial. People, people treat people that they like better all the time. That's the way it is. And God is not like that. God is holy, and he loves people who do not love him. God loves people who reject Jesus Christ, his sacrificial lamb, in effect spit in his face, he loves them anyway. He runs after people who are running away from him. And this is something that we have to work on. It's a lifelong pursuit. As a follower of God who's trying to be holy, who's trying to do this aspect of setting your hope fully on, on Christ and the coming grace that is in Christ, we have to focus on this. And when we focus on this, it can start to happen. But there's more in verse 17. Also, we see there, conduct yourself with fear. And then, and then there's this exile part. I mean, this, there's a lot more to unpack here with this. This is not the negative type of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. We're not talking about that. We're talking about here a reverence and a respect for who God is. That's this sort of fear. And it's so important that throughout the time of our exile, again, this is not our home. We're just passing through. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. We have to realize that God has us here for a reason. And we're not just to throw away that time. We're to have reverence and respect for who God is and who he's made us to be. Now, if you don't know Christ, I'm really glad you're here, first of all. I'm really glad you're here to hear this. But I want you to know that this present life, the world the way it is right now, if you, if you don't know Jesus, it's really actually as good as it's ever going to get. But if you know Jesus Christ, this world is as close to hell as you're ever, ever, ever going to face. And the truth of the matter is, people who don't know Jesus Christ they are running away from God. They are living their life for themselves, for their own passions. They're setting their hope in other things. And one day, you will be gravely and sorely disappointed unless you find ultimate hope in Jesus Christ. And when you look at this passage and you see what's going on here, as Peter is elaborating on this point, verse 17, if you call on him as Father who judges impartially, Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
this is giving us, this is giving us the hope of salvation right here. You can be saved when you say, you know what? I've done it my way long enough. I lived my life for me long enough. And I, I realize it's not, it's not giving me the hope that I need. And you turn from your sin and you turn in faith to Jesus Christ and you look at the cross and you say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood for my sin. I was not redeemed by, by, by good works. You are bought out of slavery by the redemption of the life of Jesus Christ. He sacrificed his life as a sacrificial lamb for your sin. He died for your sin. And you can actually have forgiveness of your sin when you, by faith, put your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And then Jesus, not, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. This is who we're putting our hope in. We're putting our hope in the one who conquers death. That's who you have to rely on, Christian. That's who you can rely on if you don't know Jesus this morning. You can change it all right now by putting your faith in him. And personal sacrifice, it doesn't get any better than that. There's nothing more motivating and inspiring than the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and for me. If you don't have that, just confess and believe. Repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. And the obvious takeaway is we don't live for things that are perishable now. <laughs> we don't live for things that are going to pass away like silver and gold that's here today and gone tomorrow. We don't live for that. We don't put our hope in that. We put our hope in Jesus. Sacrifice is better. Jesus was the spotless lamb and he never sinned. He shed his blood for us. He did that for us. And that's who we can put our hope in because there's coming grace for you and for me. Worship team, you can come up right now. Verse 20 and 21, one more time. You see God's love for us right here. Look at this, verse 21. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 21. Do you see that? Verse 21. God raised Jesus from the dead and he gave him glory. God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus' life to take our place. Jesus died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to die for our sin. And when Jesus, the God-man, conquered death, he received his resurrected body. When you and I die, all of us in this room who know Jesus, we will receive a resurrected body. And this is who you put your hope in. Our faith starts at salvation when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. When we, when we, when we have faith in him, that is the inception. And it is carried out and it is ongoing when we put our hope in him. And putting your hope in someone, Jesus Christ, it means not, it's not this idea that, oh, I, I, I just wish it would happen. It's not a wish. It's a confident expectation. 
that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do, that's who you can set your hope fully on. There is coming grace with Jesus Christ. We have to mentally roll up our sleeves. We have to obediently resist. We have to start looking like our Father so that, those are the ingredients, so that we put our hope fully in the coming grace that is coming through Jesus. Hope is what carries us through the present. Hope in Jesus is what carries us through the dark times. Some of us here today, maybe during this Christmas season when everyone's jolly and merry and bright, you're thinking, wow, my loved one is not, no longer with me. And you miss someone who is near and dear to you, who's, who's, who's gone. That's a tough place to be. And I'm so sorry if you've lost a loved one and, and you're dealing with that this Christmas season. But you can have hope in the coming grace of Jesus Christ. How can, what, what are we looking forward to? What are, we, what are we resting on and relying on and standing fast and firm on when we look to Jesus Christ? It's his promises. He loves you no matter what you do. He's gonna also give you a resurrected body where you won't have all these aches and pains that we deal with in this present world, in this present life, in this current body that you have. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. He will create a new heaven and a new earth and make all things new. Talk about coming grace. It is going to be lavishly poured out on us. I mean, we have it now, but we are really going to get it in the future. It's coming for us. It's there for us. So we don't have to worry about what my friend said about me. We don't have to worry about what my boss thinks about me right now. We don't even have to put all of our hope in what our significant other feels about us. Because we make mistakes. They fail us. All those things, it's the wrong thing to put your hope in. Put your hope in the coming grace of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is saying. It's not hope in your strength. It's hope in the one who conquers death. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Put your hope in God's love. Set your hope fully on the coming grace of Jesus Christ. Let's stand up. Let's sing the song today that is so true, it fits this passage perfectly, is Jesus Christ is the one who makes the difference. He's the one who makes us new. He's the one who's living. He is our ultimate hope. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. Desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine 
So great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. Yeah. The cross is spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. 